with the climate strike started by 15-year-old Greta Thunberg now expanding throughout the world, and the Sunrise Movement's aggressive promotion of Green New Deal policies here in the U.S., many of the strongest voices for the environmental actions we need today are coming from youth. These youth recognize that the inaction of older generations will have much greater consequence for those living 20, 40, 50 years from now, and that this is the time to act. Today's episode of the Citizen Science Podcast features a conversation with two members of Earth Echo International, a group that takes seriously the need to take youth voices seriously. Founded by the grandchildren of ocean explorer Jacques Cousteau, Earth Echo's mission is to inspire young people throughout the world to take action for a more sustainable future. My co-host Caroline Nickerson talks with Sean Russell, the manager for Earth Echo's Water Challenge program, and Caitlin Higgins, a student leader in Earth Echo and a member of their Youth Leadership Council. They'll discuss what it means to incorporate youth voices at every level of the organization, how to explain water chemistry to kids, how water monitoring can turn into water action, and how you can get involved in the science to better understand and protect the waters where you live. Today we're spotlighting Earth Echo International and one of their signature programs, the Earth Echo Water Challenge. We have on the line Sean Russell, one of the Water Challenge's managers, and Caitlin Higgins, a student at NC State University and one of Earth Echo's youth leaders. Caitlin, Sean, thank you so much for being with us today, and we'd love if you could introduce yourselves. My name is Sean Russell, and I'm the program manager for the Earth Echo Water Challenge at Earth Echo International. And for me, my background is really working on youth-focused citizen science and environmental education programs and really working at the intersection of youth leadership programming and environmental conservation projects. So I'm excited to talk a little bit more today about the Water Challenge program and how we're working to activate young people around the world and, and their community members to take action to both monitor and protect their local waterways. Awesome. And then, Caitlin, will you say hello a little bit about your background and um, what you do with Earth Echo? Thank you so much for inviting us to talk about Earth Echo and what we do. I'm on the Earth Echo Youth Leadership Council, and I'm also the committee chair for the Earth Echo Water Challenge Ambassadors Program. I help Sean run that program and kind of keep everything organized and flowing and mentor the ambassadors that we take on in Water Challenge um, activities in their communities. So it's really great. I got involved in environmental conservation and education when I was 10 years old. So I started pretty young, and that was with a local nonprofit organization called Love a Sea Turtle in Greenville, North Carolina. And I was with them for eight years, and you know, through that organization, I had so many more opportunities to get involved in conservation and education efforts, um, which led me to Earth Echo. So being able to have that experience at such a young age has given me so many awesome opportunities to get involved with more youth around the country. Great, great. Before we go any further, maybe Sean can give some context about what this particular challenge is and how it fits into the larger organization. I know the organization has an amazing history, so maybe you can expound upon that a little bit too. Sure, I'd be happy to. So just a little bit of background on Earth Echo International. We are an environmental education nonprofit that was founded by Philippe and Alexandre Cousteau, the grandchildren of legendary ocean explorer Jacques Cousteau. Um, for those who may not know, Jacques Cousteau really helped introduce a generation to the ocean and our water planet for the first time through innovation and storytelling, filmmaking, 
helping to invent scuba diving and really connecting us to life under the waves and in the ocean. We're really excited and honored to be able to build on that legacy with our work at Earth Echo, but with a specific focus on empowering young people to take action now for a sustainable future. For us, the key word in that mission is, is now. It's really about recognizing that when we look at the world's population, we see that nearly half of the world is under the age of 25. And so if we're really serious about addressing the big picture environmental conservation challenges facing our planet, it's really imperative that we don't just write off young people as leaders of the future, but really give young people meaningful opportunities to get involved and take action at an early age to protect our environment, to protect our, our water planet. And so at Earth Echo, all of our programs are really driven by that mission. Uh, in addition to the Earth Echo Water Challenge, we also have the Youth Leadership Council that Caitlin mentioned and is, is a part of. Uh, we also have an Earth Echo Expeditions Program, which takes 25 middle school teachers out on an expedition each year to investigate a critical environmental issue around the world. They return and create educational content and lesson plans and engaging video resources to connect students to that topic and engage them in taking action. And then our STEM Explore Program is a, a newer program that introduces young people to the diversity of STEM careers through engaging video content and live connections with STEM professionals and mentors from across the country. So again, we're really excited to be able to kind of bring all of that legacy and, and kind of passion for the environment that our organization brings, but really use it to equip young people with the tools they need to take action around conservation initiatives in their communities. Very cool. So I've heard you use the term water planet a few times. Um, what do you mean by that? So when we, when we look at the world and kind of zoom out from space, we see that we, we really you know, live on a blue planet. We see that kind of over 70% of the surface of the Earth is, is covered in water. And we also see, though, that of all that water, only a small portion is really usable by people in that freshwater form that we can use and access. So I think it's really critical that we recognize that pretty much everything in our environment is connected to water in some way, but it's also really our shared responsibility to take action to protect and preserve our water resources around the world. Very cool. So Earth Echo has a huge focus on young people. That's just part of your mission statement. How would you all define a young person? Is there a cutoff for participation in Earth Echo? I know you said you do things for teachers too. So Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at our programs, obviously it varies, especially being international with programs and communities around the world. We typically define young people as up to age 24, but our programs and especially the Earth Echo Water Challenge is something that's really designed for community members of all ages to come together and take action around. For us, when it comes to environmental conservation, while we have that core focus and, and mission of engaging young people and taking action, we recognize that it's really important for everyone to come to the table collaboratively. So we're you know, incredibly grateful to work with amazing conservation organizations, nonprofits, scientists, educators, uh, national parks, you name it, around the world to engage young people and community members in taking action around these issues. Very cool. So tell me about the logistics of the water challenge from how someone starts to how it ends for them when they're participating in this particular challenge. So the Earth Like a Water Challenge is a program that's been around for a number of years now. It actually started initially in 2003 as a, as a single day event as World Water Monitoring Day. And over the years, it really expanded and grew really due to the passions and interest of the community members and young people involved in the program around the world. In about 2015, we took on the program. It needed a new home and fit really well with our work and mission. We kick off the program officially every year on World Water Day on March 22nd. But of course, the program is open to participation throughout the year. And it's fantastic because we always see pretty much every day of the week, people around the world collecting data on their local waterways and sharing that through the Water Challenge database. We like to break down the program into three major parts, test, share, and protect. And so for people interested in getting involved, they can visit monitorwater.org to learn more and, and get started. They can order water challenge test kits and get started with that, that testing component, really getting out in the community, 
connecting to their local waterways and collecting data on the health of those waterways. They're then able to share that data through our database at monitorwater.org. Ultimately work to take action to protect their local waterways as well. Got it. Got it. I was wondering maybe if, Caitlin, could you talk a little bit about your participation in the challenge um, and how you went through the steps that Sean just outlined? So I came to Earthrico as one of the inaugural Youth Leadership Council members, and then I was introduced to the water challenge, and I felt that was a really good place for me to be, mostly because I had already been testing water in my community and was really interested in being able to see those results and be able to communicate those results with my community and communities throughout the world and use that data to tell people we need to protect these water bodies. So my participation is mostly getting my community involved. So I would have a lot of events where I would have elementary schoolers, middle schoolers, adults come out to our local park where we have several different lakes. And we would go to each lake with the Earth Echo Water Challenge test kits and we'd test that water. And I would be able to tell everybody, hey, this is what this test means. This is what this pH result means for this particular lake. This is what the dissolved oxygen levels mean and be able to put into words what we're seeing in our lake. We need to actively test our water because it changes all the time. And especially being in North Carolina, for me, we get hit by hurricanes a lot. And after Hurricane Matthew, we saw a lot of different test results. My community was really confused about it. So we all had to do research and realized that we needed to actively protect our water, not just test it and make sure that like it's healthy. We have to make sure that stormwater is not getting in it. And it's by a landfill also. So we have to make sure that, you know, nothing from the landfill is getting in the lakes. People are starting to pick up trash whenever they see it and throw it away instead of just leaving it out. So it's really great to see how, you know, Testing water has led to protecting our water, which is the sole purpose of the water challenge. That's awesome. So that's something I've seen in common with Earth Echo's um, mission that you aim to educate people by providing these water testing resources, but you also aim to inspire action. So Sean, do you have other examples of things that have come about because of the water challenge in terms of protection activities? Yeah, of course. And I think Caitlin makes a great point for us. You know, it's amazing to see kind of the global reach of the Earth Echo Water Challenge program. We've had over 1.5 million people from 146 countries collecting that data and, and getting out in their community, understanding the state of their waterways and sharing that data. But for us, it really it really doesn't stop there. We're really passionate about connecting young people and community members of all ages with the tools to translate what they're finding, to translate that water quality data into action in their community and, and really let them take that ownership of their local waterways and take that shared responsibility to protect their local ecosystems. And so for us, it's really exciting to see the stories of participation from around the world. One of the newer things we've added to the Earth Echo Water Challenge database is the opportunity to, in addition to logging your water quality data, the chance to share those actions that you're taking to protect waterways based on the data you're collecting. We see students, for instance, 
uh, at Key Biscayne K-8 Center down on Biscayne Bay near Miami, Florida. They've worked to monitor the local estuary and the bay at Biscayne Bay habitats near their school. And based on their findings, their water quality data, they've worked on planting mangroves, which are really important coastal plant species to restore and protect the shoreline, stabilizing them from hurricanes, helping to prevent erosion and runoff, and helping to filter the waterways in those habitats. Similarly, we've seen a lot of kind of habitat restoration focused projects. So we've seen groups, for instance, in Washington State around the Seattle area working to restore stream banks by planting native plants and shrubs. Those help stabilize the shoreline again and reduce erosion, which can decrease the turbidity of the water. And then we see groups, I think uh, Kaylin has a great example with the group uh, at Love is Sea Turtle, one of my favorite projects they've worked on after seeing their water quality results and data, is working on storm drain marking programs. So they've teamed up with their city to help revitalize uh, the storm drain marking programs. So going out and stenciling messages on storm drains, reminding people of the importance of not letting wastewater or trash or other contaminants enter those storm drains, because ultimately those will run right into the local rivers and lakes in that region. So for us, it's, it's really exciting to see, you know, the stories of action that's inspired by this data. And that monitoring is really just the first step. And we're really, you know, working to build the tools and resources to help young people and their community members analyze that data, and then ultimately take that farther action around how they can help protect their resources. So Caitlin, you're a freshman at NC State University, and you're already taking a big leadership role uh, with this program. So I was wondering, what youth engagement practices have you seen Earth Echo use that have been really successful, and what's kept you engaged? Oh my gosh, Earth Echo is so invested in youth that it's honestly inspiring. They support all of the youth that they take onto their team. So when I started on the Youth Leadership Council, that was the very first year that they had it. And when we were all introduced, they said, well, we wanted to start this Youth Leadership Council because we're always talking about how we want to get youth involved, but we didn't have any youth as a part of our organization. So we started this council. And since then, they've really let the Youth Leadership Council help lead all of the Earth Echo programs. So the Water Challenge, we have currently five Youth Leadership Council members helping to run it. Specifically, a new program that involves youth is our Earth Echo Water Challenge Ambassadors Program, which is now in its second year. When they came to us with an idea about getting more youth involved in the Water Challenge, we didn't really have anything in place and they asked us you know what what can we do like how should we set this up now we have 20 youth across the United States ages 14 to 22 getting water challenge testing done in their communities and getting their communities more involved all of these youth are passionate about water and testing their water and being able to protect it and even in Earth Echo's other programs there are youth leadership council members helping to run those programs um, and all of the Earth Echo staff come to us and they're like, so we have these ideas. What do you guys think? How can we do this? We want you guys to help. They're always looking for ways to get youth involved in what they're doing. That's honestly reassuring for us because adults always say, oh, the youth are the future. And then a lot of times youth don't have opportunities to actually do something when they're younger. Well, if we're the future, why can't we do something right now? And Earth Echo is giving youth a platform to do something now. Um, so it's extremely inspiring for me and for all of the other youth involved in Earth Echo to be able to have these opportunities and inspire more youth across the country. Even in my community, through Earth Echo, 
they've been inspired and people are actually starting to listen to the youth, which is awesome. I really appreciate Earth Echo for that because they believe in us. They believe that youth can make a difference. That's awesome. Sean, since you're the manager of this water challenge, maybe you can speak a little bit about what it's like for you to um, work with young decision makers in this capacity. For me, it really combines kind of all my passions and interests. Um, And for me, it's been a chance really to come full circle. So I actually first connected to Earth Echo as a, as a college student working on ocean conservation programs in my community and across the country. And, and similar reaction to Kayla, as a young person, it was fantastic to see an organization that was so passionate about equipping young people and really meaningful roles to take action around conservation. So having their support as a young person, then kind of, like I said, getting to come full circle and now serving on the Earth Echo team, managing the Water Challenge program, it's been really just a privilege and an honor to be able to kind of pay it forward and continue to expand the work we're doing with young leaders. For me, our, working with our Youth Leadership Council and our Water Challenge Ambassadors, it really just adds that authentic youth voice to our programming. Um, working at an organization whose mission is really focused on engaging young people in the environmental conservation field, if we're going to develop high-impact programs, you know, there's no one better to ask than than young people when it comes to engaging their peers and how to best do that. And so I've learned so much through this experience from working with this amazing team of young people from across the country and to have their their guidance and leadership helping then influencing the programming that we offer to tens of thousands of young people around the world is, is a really just rewarding experience. And to be able to bring in again, as Caitlin mentioned, those young people to influence every aspect of our program and our program development. They also serve on our board of directors, helping really influence our organization at the highest level. It's been just an amazing experience to see that that impact and how it's really shaped and influenced our programs. So in terms of the water challenge, just the nuts and bolts of participating, if someone wanted to get started today, would they start by requesting a testing kit from you? First place to start is just to visit monitorwater.org. You'll be able to see and explore the map of all the water challenge collected data from around the world and then plug right in and get started. If you're an individual and getting involved, there's opportunities to to order test kits and, and get started looking at water quality in your own backyard. And then again, we work with a number of, of organizations who work directly in communities around the world on this program. And that's everything from school groups, universities, nonprofits, government agencies, and national parks and state parks to even corporate volunteers. We work really closely with our program sponsors uh, and partners at Xylem to get their employees engaged in mentoring young people in the community and taking action around uh, waterway conservation as well. So it's really, again, something that's open to everyone. And get started again at monitorwater.org. You can order a test kit. That's also where you'll end up sharing your data again and logging that data through the Earth Echo Water Challenge database and also exploring other resources and ideas and stories and inspiration to help take action with the data that you're collecting. Awesome. And so how do these kits work? Do you, maybe Caitlin can talk a little bit about that, about how she actually like used the kit. So we have a singular test kit where you can get like a classroom set, um, which is five different test kits. And they're just these little, I guess you would call them buckets that fit in your hand and inside you have everything you need. You have two test tubes for your pH test and then you have a smaller glass tube for your dissolved oxygen test and then you have a Segi disc sticker for your turbidity test that you put on the bottom of your bucket and all you do is you go out to your body of water, you scoop up the water to the fill line And on the outside of the bucket, you have your temperature strips. So you hold that under for about 30 seconds, pull it up, and then 
whatever number is highlighted in green is the temperature of your water. So you record that and you go back to wherever dry, is dry. You don't have to stay in the water because you've already collected your sample and you fill up your test tubes for pH. It's to the 10 milliliter line. Um, you put in a pH tablet, invert it until it's dissolved, and then compare that color of whatever the test tube water ends up being to a test result card. So there's different colors associated with numbers on the pH scale. And whatever color shows up from your test is the pH of your water. And then you have your dissolved oxygen section. You put in two dissolved oxygen tablets, invert it, wait five minutes for the color to set in, and then compare that color to your three different colors on the card, which will tell you how much dissolved oxygen is in the water. And then you test your turbidity. And all you have to do for that is look to the bottom of your bucket and compare what the Secchi disc sticker looks like to your result card. So it's honestly extremely easy. I've done water testing with five-year-olds and they're able to do it. So it's a very easy process and it's easy to transport. So you're not lugging around like a briefcase full of testing materials. It's just this little bucket that you can throw in a backpack and have it with you anywhere you go. Um, be able to test water. Like if you're just out on a walk and you see this body of water and you're like, hey, I kind of want to test that right now and just pull out your bucket and you have everything you need. And that's what's really great about the water challenge is it's extremely easy to use and educate people about. So it's not like these complicated tests or technology that you have to try and explain. It's pretty easy to, you know, carry out the tests and then record your data. Yeah, and it sounds like you get results pretty quickly with these tests. Is that right? Mm -hmm. With a group of about 15 kids aged like 8 to 12, I can get results of five different tests in 15 minutes. Wow. And um, so what results are typical for a healthy waterway? And what results would show you, okay, this body of water needs some help? I would say that really depends on where you're testing your body of water. So if you're testing like in Florida, Florida's water bodies will most likely have higher salinity, which will affect the test results than my water bodies in North Carolina. So I would say the first thing for anybody to do when they're testing water in a certain region is to research what normal test results are and what they should be looking for. Uh, but on average, the pH you're looking for is anywhere from six and a half to eight dissolved oxygen. You want pretty high, so about six to eight ppm. And then turbidity, you want it as clear as possible because sediments will get into the gills of fish. It will block sunlight from any plant life in the water body, um, which will result in lower dissolved oxygen results. Um, and temperature, again, depends on the aquatic life in there. So you don't really want it too cold, but you don't want it too hot. But yeah, just first thing to do is check your region, see what should be normal for that. And so when you're working with, for example, the groups like the five-year-olds you mentioned, how do you explain terms like pH, turbidity, dissolved oxygen to them? 
So for pH, I pretty much just explain it as it's how acidic or basic the water is. So I give them examples like when you eat oranges, those are acids. The soap you use to wash your hands is a base. When you eat those, your orange is kind of sour. And then the soap, if you put in your mouth, like if you accidentally eat it, it doesn't taste good either. So we want the results to be in between an acid and a base. Um, and that's pretty easy for them to understand because they're like, oh yeah, oranges are sour and soap is nasty and we don't want our water to be like that. And for dissolved oxygen, I usually start out by asking, what do humans breathe? And they're all like, oxygen. And then I ask, well, what do you think fish breathe? And they all just kind of look around at each other like, um, what? So I explain that like fish also have to breathe oxygen just like us. And they need lots of oxygen to be able to live healthily. So that's a good way for them to like process, oh, other animals need oxygen just like we need oxygen. For temperature, I think that's pretty easy for them to understand because I'm always like, well, you know, when it's cold outside, you need all these jackets and stuff and you're always shivering. And when it's hot, you're sweating and you're like, I don't want to go outside. So we want temperatures to be in between that, just like fish do in their water. And turbidity is just how dirty or clean the water is. I usually equate that to a pool. I say, if you're going to a pool and you see the water is really dirty, do you really want to go swim in it? And they're like, no, that's nasty. That's how it is with fish. So they want their water to be as clean as possible so they don't get hurt or, you know, die. So it's kind of a fun way to think about water testing when you start working with those younger kids is how can I explain this in a way that they'll be able to understand so far for me it's worked yeah Caitlin I'm happy to add that too I think it's something we've seen you know around and I think Caitlin's examples are great I think it's sharing the topics of, of water science but in, and just kind of framing them differently as you as you look at different audiences and I think that's one of them that the great things about this program is it's, you know, we can adapt it to different ages and different audiences. So I know one of the things that we, we talk about when we're doing some of the trainings with, with folks who work with younger students is kind of framing the whole water quality monitoring as giving your water a checkup. Um, you know, a lot of the younger students have, have very vivid memories of going to the doctor, maybe, maybe not all positive, but you can have that understanding of kind of giving your water a checkup and, and, and checking on the health of your waterway, just like when you go to the doctor, you have to you know check on your own health as well. Um, and I think, you know, again, those examples like Caitlin shared, are, are great kind of analogies we can use to help younger students start to understand the importance of, of some of the different water quality tests and the importance of this work. And then, of course, as students get older, as you get into the upper elementary school and into middle school, they can really start to dive more into the science behind this as well and start to understand the different tests and what they mean and some of the chemistry behind it. And of course, as we get into even older students, there's a lot to be said for, for them plugging into the data analysis and actually being able to do, and again, I think Caitlin's work in North Carolina with that long-term monitoring is really the ideal situation where students can look long-term at not just a single point of data, but really look at those longitudinal trends and start to analyze a graph and look at the data over time and, and see what that baseline is and how it can change when there's you know severe weather events or other issues that might be contaminating a waterway as well. So again, it's something that's, that's been fun for us to, to work with really all ages on and and again, kind of keeping with that theme is you know, anyone can get involved and take action. And you're really never too young to make a difference when it comes to this type of work as well. 
Yeah, definitely. And um, the data analysis piece is really intriguing. So we have examples like Caitlin's where she's working on a particular project in her particular area. But I was wondering, um, the data that is in your database for the water challenge, have you seen people do like nationwide or worldwide studies or do they usually just hone in on a particular area that they studied themselves? Sure. So I think one of the things that we always hear, first of all, from our dispenses, they're excited to be part of that that global picture and really contributing to our overall um, understanding of, of water resources around the world. Um, but then when it comes to that analysis and taking action, oftentimes it makes more sense to look at that because, as Caitlin mentioned before, you know, we see a lot of variability by by habitat, by by community, by state, just because of the natural conditions and changes you would see, you know, obviously, as, as Caitlin was alluding to, you see, you know, maybe a big difference between a swamp in South Florida, where I'm from, and a cool mountain stream in North Carolina. Um, and so it really makes sense for local communities or regions to take ownership of that data and to look at that analysis uh, on that local or regional level. One of the things that that we are always excited by and continuing to build new tools and resources is to help young people in particular, but really, again, people of all ages to take a look at that data, to collect data over time. So again, ensuring it's not just a one-time thing, but really going out to the same sites over time, over seasons, um, ensuring that they're getting that kind of natural variability captured and then start to look at that data over time. And it's exciting for us to see students, again, especially as they get older, start to analyze that data as part of their science classes. We've seen young people go out and share that data with local government officials or work in conjunction with conservation-focused nonprofits to help with that restoration effort, again, informed by the data they're collecting as well. So again, it's exciting for us to kind of, again, put the tools in the hands of the participants to take ownership of that data and really start to look at those trends over time and and think about how that can inform the long-term work they do with that data as well. Two or three years ago, uh, my organization that I worked with in my hometown launched the first ever um, Earth Echo Water Challenge Water Lab. So we got grant money to create this classroom at one of our local parks where anybody can go into the classroom, pick up an Earth Echo water testing kit, and go out to any of the lakes around and test water and come back to the classroom where there's computers directly linked to uh, monitorwater.org where they can input the data they found and be able to learn more about what they're testing. It's a really awesome way for the water challenge to have a permanent place in a community and being able to have that open classroom for anybody to go into and learn about the water challenge and be able to test their water. And it's definitely gotten its use. So a lot of our community members have gone out and done some water testing, which is awesome. That's really innovative. Have you seen any other like imitators of that lab pop up since you guys established it? As far as I know, um, it's the only like permanent location for the water challenge, unless Sean has heard of anything else. And its format, it's definitely unique at this point, but we're excited to, um, you know, kind of learn from the lessons that have been gained over the past year of that center being open and share that with others. I think one of the, the great pieces from that program that, you know, we work with so many park sites and museums and science centers that have the public, you know, coming out to them. I think one of the kind of easy takeaways and lessons learned is I love how um, the group Caitlin works with our partners at Love a Sea Turtle have um, set up just, again, the basic opportunity to check out the test kits and resources and go out to 
kind of designated locations where there's signage and information in the park so they know exactly what sites to go to. Um, and they can scan QR codes on the signs for more details and they can go out exactly to those same locations and it ensures that the data is coming in from kind of the same points over time and helps, again, really add to that long-term data. Um, so just, again, kind of, it's not something that's too complicated and it's something that really opens this process up to, to the general public. So we're excited to see. I know we're already you know, talking about if there's other communities we can model that in and excited to see where, where it goes. Yeah, awesome. And is all the data open? So would I be able to go onto the database and look at the data that Caitlin collected? So it's all open at monitorwater.org. So the first thing you'll see kind of when you visit the website is a big map that will kind of hit you right in the face when you log on and it'll show that data from all the sites around the world. There's been data from about 1.5 million volunteers from 146 countries. So kind of a really strong historical data set as well. And from there, you can kind of sort by the different parameters that we test for. You can sort by year and of course, zoom in on those specific locations. You can always click on an individual site and see whether it's data that was collected once or if it's, again, one of those sites that's doing long-term monitoring, you can see the data kind of graphed over time as well. So start to look at some of those trends and changes. And then also from our website, you can also download just the full Excel file of all of the data from each year as well. So if you're interested in going in and kind of looking at kind of the raw data and sorting that out and working it up in Excel, there's those opportunities as well. Very cool. And have you um, seen outside researchers do that with your data? Or has it mostly been um, the people actually doing the test, um, doing the analysis, and then taking action on their analysis? So our focus at this point has really been on that, again, having the participants get in and do the analysis and take that action and ownership. But communities uh, across the country, they are also working kind of hand in hand with community leaders, with scientists, with conservationists. I think Caitlin's work has been a great example of this. But just as another example as well, we work really closely with our partners in Cuyahoga Valley National Park um, up in Ohio. For years, they've led environmental education programming with their students going out and collecting water quality data on the Cuyahoga River and taking a look at really how that water quality has changed over the years. They're actually coming up on a big milestone this year. This is the 50th anniversary of the last time the Cuyahoga River caught on fire and actually burned because of how polluted the waterway was. And so over time, the community in that region has done amazing work really coming together to protect and restore that watershed. And that's, you know, scientists, resource managers, National Park Service officials, uh, you name it, and of course, citizens coming together to be part of that process. And so for us to have students involved in, in regularly out monitoring water quality, collecting that data and being part of that overall kind of restoration of the river has been really exciting. And I think that's just one of the stories of, of you know, how students can work hand in hand with, with scientists and resource managers and educators to help when it comes to that long-term restoration of, of water bodies around the world. Awesome. And so what do you think is next for um, both the Water Challenge and for Earth Echo? That's a great question. Um, so for the Water Challenge, we're excited to continue to build out the tools and resources to help participants really take that next step and really move into the analysis, move into the waterway conservation action. So we've just launched a new section of our website, the Earth Echo Water Challenge Action Portal, where we're starting to pull together those stories of, of young people and communities around the world who've taken that data, analyzed it, and turned that into waterway conservation projects in their community. And we really want that to serve as, as a hub of inspiration and, and ideas for others to follow in their footsteps. We want to help tell the stories and not just kind of an in a typical story format, but really bring to life the action steps that, that these groups have gone through to carry out these waterway conservation projects and, and put them in a space where others can learn from those experiences and follow in their footsteps as well. We're also always ex exploring new opportunities to grow the program, looking at different water quality parameters and, and new pieces to add into the database. So lots of exciting things kind of on the horizon as we grow that, that reach and impact around the world. And then for Earth Act as a whole, we're always, always up to new things. As I mentioned earlier, our STEM Explore program is our newest program that really started to grow out last year, connecting young people to STEM careers and mentors across the country. 
And then this summer, our Earth Echo Expedition program is heading to England. So our founder, Philippe, will join a team of 25 teachers to head to England to look at sustainable fisheries as kind of the next issue we'll explore with our expedition program. And actually, right now, we're accepting applications from middle school teachers to be part of that program and to join the team on an expedition in England. So all of those details are over on earthecho.org as well. So always, always lots of exciting things on the horizon and so grateful for all of our partners and collaborators who help make this work possible as well. Great. Sean, so you started as a college student. What advice would you give to people like Caitlin when they get older and they still want to stay engaged and mentor the next generation of leaders in Earth Echo? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think for me, it's, and this goes for really people of any age, and I think that's one of the things I love about the Water Challenge Program. It's probably one of our our most widest reaching audience programs. We have people really of all ages and, and communities around the world. But for me, it's really about you know, finding those, those issues you're passionate about when it comes to whether it's volunteering or your job or your role or whatever that might be in, in the environmental conservation world. Find those issues you're passionate about because that's going to motivate you and inspire you to want to do more and want to get involved and, and make a difference and make an impact in your community. Whether that's something that a young person goes into for their career, I think people like Caitlin obviously have you know, amazing opportunities to plug into conservation organizations at an earlier age. And I think that's pushing younger and younger, which is great to see. But I think it's also important to realize that we need environmentally you know, literate citizens of, of all ages and all backgrounds. And it doesn't matter if you're going into necessarily a science-related field for your career. Um, we need people with that basic understanding of environmental conservation in kind of all aspects of society and all of our careers. So I think it's important, again, to find those issues that you're passionate about. And then no matter what you go into for a career after college, to keep that environmental conservation at the forefront of your mind and the work that you do in your community. Awesome. So for both of you, what advice would you give to people who want to get started with citizen science and um, the water challenge, but maybe are a little bit confused, are unsure of where to start, are just maybe a little bit intimidated by the science aspects, perhaps? I would say just kind of do research about what's already happening in your community because there might be things that somebody's already doing and you just don't know about it. Um, So trying to connect with other community members who are already doing something that you're interested in or might also be interested in what you want to do. And if you're like in a college town or near a university, find a professor to talk to if you're confused about the science part. Um, If they specialize in what you want to do, go talk to them. So if you specifically want to get involved in the water challenge and you want to learn more about the science behind it, reach out to an expert. Don't be afraid to ask somebody questions because there's always people out there who want to help you, want to further, you know, your education and your passion. Just don't lose whatever passion it is. If you're nervous about it or something, it's definitely okay to be nervous. I know I was terrified about trying to learn the science behind it and teach it to all these kids. But you know, over time, you learn more as you go. And just doing a little bit of research can help so much. That's a great point. I know kind of Caitlin and I both grew up in very different water environments around us, but have some of that shared passion for waterway conservation personally. But really, you know, look to your community, find those issues that really resonate with you. 
And then again, do that research and explore how you can plug in and take action. And I think for young people, especially, we've seen such a such a growth and opportunities for young people to plug into this work in really meaningful ways. And I think that's a significant point too, is it's not, and citizen science has really helped with that, is it's giving young people these meaningful roles to plug in and take action at an early age, again, around these issues they're passionate about. So I'd, I'd say, you know, start there, do that research on the organizations that are that are working on the issues you're interested in and reach out to them. Again, as Caitlin said, you know, never be afraid to kind of track down those people that you're interested in talking to, give them a call. So many organizations we work with are looking for specifically young people to get involved in their programs and, and trying to figure out how to best provide those opportunities to young people. So chances are, if you're a student or a young person and, and looking to get involved in really any science or, or conservation related topic, do the research on the organizations in your community that are working on those issues and, and reach out to them. And chances are they, they would love to get you plugged in and connected in with their work as well. Great. Thank you so much to you both for chatting with us today. It makes me really excited. But so at the end, we always ask, what's a topic you all think we should focus on in a future episode? Um, if you have any other citizen science projects that you know about that you think that other people could be excited about too. And if you have any other suggestions for guests, we're always seeking out cool topics, projects, and guests. Two citizen science projects that I've connected to just through recent conversations with colleagues. One is the North Carolina Arboretums Eco Explore Program that I had a chance to learn more about actually Carolina at the Citizen Science Conference. An amazing program that, that gets young people outdoors and exploring the natural world in North Carolina and provides kind of really cool ways to get them connected to their local wildlife um, in a really engaging way. Another project that comes to mind as well that, that one of my colleagues has recently launched is called iCoral working to engage both students on expeditions and divers around the world in collecting critically important images and kind of documentation of the challenges that coral reefs are facing and sharing those with scientists to help really understand state of the world's coral reefs and, and how those are changing and what we can do to help protect them as well. Great. So Caitlin, Sean, thank you so much for chatting with us today. And for your wonderfully clear explanations, Caitlin, I asked for the, the five-year-old explanation for a reason, and it made lots of sense to me. So thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. And Sean, thank you as well for so clearly defining um, Earth Echo's mission and the Water Challenges mission. It was great to hear. I hope that anyone who lives around water, which is almost everybody on this planet, is able to participate. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time and, and your interest. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Caroline. To learn more about Earth Echo International, visit earthecho.org. And to get involved in the water challenge, visit monitorwater.org. Citizen Science is produced by Caroline Nickerson and Justin Schell in association with SciStarter. We use Stefan Bachel-Jungen's Waters in Azure for this episode under a Creative Commons license via the Free Music Archive. To learn more about our show, get a transcript of this episode, and listen to previous episodes, please visit scistarter.org podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback on what we've done so far and ideas for what we could do next. Send us a note at info at scistarter.org. If you like the show, please rate or review us on your podcast platform of choice, or simply send it to a friend. We'll be back in a few weeks with a new episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>